Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Leadership can be lonely. But it doesn't have to be. We often have support that we aren't taking advantage of or that we're not even aware is there. I'm going to talk about how to unlock the value of never trying to lead by yourself. And I'm going to pick up on a critically important theme I started into in the last episode of the podcast. And I'm going to do that as we watch the fifth episode of the third season of The Next Generation, The Bonding. The Enterprise is orbiting a planet where the civilization destroyed itself. Worf is leading an archaeological dig to learn what happened. This planet was apparently once home to a race known as the Koinonians. It all seems to be going well until, out of nowhere, a device explodes, killing the archaeologist, Lieutenant Astor. And if that wasn't bad enough... Lieutenant Astor is survived by a son, Jeremy, 12 years old. His dad passed away five years ago. So Jeremy is now an orphan on the Enterprise. Picard and Counselor Troy go to tell him what's happened. On the bridge, Wesley Crusher, whose dad died on a mission Picard led years ago, feels the pain of this moment. He had to do the same thing for me. He doesn't really know Jeremy, but he empathizes with what he's about to go through. On the way to talk with Jeremy, Picard talks with Troy. He questions if having families aboard the Enterprise is really such a good idea. She hears him out and offers encouragement for him as they go to deliver the news. Jeremy's shocked, but he receives it stoically. I'm all alone now, sir. Data visits Riker to ask about how people process death and the questions that people ask about it. Why do you ask the question? Since her death, I've been asked several times to define how well I knew Lieutenant Astor. And I heard you ask Wesley on the bridge how well he knew Jeremy. Which leads to one of the most profound statements ever spoken. Maybe if we felt any loss as keenly as we felt the death of one close to us, human history would be a lot less bloody. Jordy LaForge takes a team to the planet to investigate the explosion. Looks like weapons left over from the war where the Koinonians destroyed themselves. Worf, Worf is really struggling. He's angry that someone under his command died so senselessly. 
He talks with Troy about it, who who is absolutely amazing. Go on. He feels a responsibility to Jeremy. He tells Troy that he wants to perform a Klingon ritual, Rustai, with Jeremy. It's the bonding. Troy strongly discourages him from doing this. She says that Jeremy still needs to process his grief and his loss, and that this ritual will do much more harm than good at this point. Jeremy spends time, weirdly, alone. Like, they just leave him in his quarters by himself. Huh, it's weird. But he's spending time watching family videos. Worf drops in, luckily not to perform the ritual, but to talk with him, to try and take some responsibility. But wow, <laughs> he really blows it. Did they also teach you that every Klingon hopes to die in the line of duty as your mother did? Dude, way, way too soon. He makes it all about him and his traditions, and it goes just about as well as you'd expect. On the bridge, they're picking up some weird energy readings from the planet around the same time that... Jeremy? Mom? Whoa! All of a sudden, she's back. Lieutenant Astor is back and hanging out with Jeremy. He's a little weirded out. He's got questions. But this version of his mom is trying to convince him that it was all a misunderstanding and that now they're going to move down to the planet's surface and live there now. Being 12 years old and having his mom back, he's all for this. Searching for the unknown presence, Worf finds her but she takes Jeremy to a transporter room. Picard and Troy intercept them and try to talk them down, but it doesn't go well. Jordy, the engineer, he's able to temporarily disrupt the weird energy signal, and she disappears. Troy takes Jeremy back to his quarters, and now they look just like his home back on Earth. He's getting understandably very, very confused. Fake Mom is back and continues making her case. She just wants to protect him. All she wants is for Jeremy to be happy. While the Koinonians destroyed themselves, there was another race on the planet. A race made from energy. They've survived and... The surviving life forms on this planet will not tolerate any further suffering as a result of that dishonorable past. So Picard does what Picard does and explains that with their solution, taking Jeremy to live in a false world with a fake mom will cause nothing but suffering. It is at the heart of our nature to feel pain and joy. But as we'll talk about in the command codes, he doesn't do this alone. Wesley Crusher joins them and shares his experience when he lost his father. This was very, very powerful. Jeremy cries, feeling the loss finally. And now, now he's angry, just like he should be. The energy being understands and returns everything to normal and returns to the planet. With Troy's support, Worf and Jeremy perform the Rustai, the bonding. We will be brothers. When this episode came up last week, I said it was a Worf and Troy episode, and boy was I wrong. This is a Counselor Troy episode, and it is a really good one for her. But for Jeremy Astor, wow. This little dude is gonna need a lot of ongoing help and care. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. This episode was, honestly, better than it deserved to be. 
it was a little confused, I think, with what it wanted to be. Is this a story about a mysterious alien culture that's still trying to right wrongs from generations ago? Is it an episode about human nature and how we cope with loss and grief? Is it about responsibility and the challenges of being in a leadership role? Well, in the end, I think it's a little bit of all those things and honestly, maybe just the right amount of each of them to make this an enjoyable episode. I, very honestly, wasn't too excited about it when it popped up but on my first watch through, I was pleasantly surprised. Not bad for a man of 133. Not bad at all. The downside to this one is the actor that played Jeremy Astor, the kid, just just wasn't really good enough for what this role called for. He wasn't he wasn't at all terrible, right? He didn't ruin the show, but I mean, I don't want to be mean about it, but he was just kind of a dry pancake in scenes that called for a for a fluffy Belgian waffle. Luckily, he was surrounded by people really, really bringing some great performances, most notably Will Wheaton. Do you ever think about it, Mom? He carried a heavy, heavy storyline through this and brought in the big swings for the climax. He was, he was actually just absolutely awesome. This episode aired in late 1989, which might be one of its big drawbacks as well. Like, he and Worf, Jeremy and Worf, are brothers now. But we don't even hear this kid's name ever again. He doesn't even get a mention. The very idea of carryover storylines was unheard of at this time. And that's really too bad. The name of the podcast, Babylon 5, for the first time. Like, frankly, they could have dropped the whole Rustai storyline altogether. And the only change to the story would be that it'd be, I don't know, about three minutes shorter? If he ever even got a mention again or showed up in an episode, then it would have been important. Instead, it's just another footnote on Klingon culture that we keep in our back pocket for, you know, maybe someday. But aside from the powerful leadership stuff that we're going to get to here shortly, the episode did a great examination of how we, as humans, deal and cope with loss. This is especially poignant for me. And I watched this episode a little differently because I lost my dad back in March. In the last two years, I've lost both my parents and I really identified with a lot of what happened in this episode. At a macro level, the show uses Data's character really well. He's such a great mouthpiece to straight up ask the big questions. He and Riker are reflecting on Aster's death. It's just human nature, Data. We feel a loss more intensely when it's a friend. But should not the feelings run just as deep, regardless of who has died. Oof. <laughs> That's some big stuff. In the 65th episode of the podcast, where we watched TNG The First Duty, I shared one of my moments of many existential crisis around death. And this conversation really echoes that. People die, literally all the time. But life goes on, and far too often, with little more than even a passing thought for the loss. Now, we can't feel every loss the way we feel it when it's someone close to us. I mean, we'd just be crying all the time, nonstop. But we can pause and reflect on the value of a life and the other lives it touched. Back in the throes of COVID, on May 24th, 2020, the New York Times 
marked the 100,000th death in the U.S. attributed to COVID by printing the names of a 1,000 people that had died. It took the entire front page. I'll tell you, it's one thing to hear 100,000 deaths and a very different thing to see even 1% of that printed out. I very much encourage you to duck, duck, go that story because it is wildly impactful. I keep a screenshot of it on my phone to remind myself that people are more than just a number. And the thing is, we have totally eclipsed that now and it feels like little more than an afterthought. More than a million lives cut short across America. At the time of this recording, according to various news outlets, there have been over 54,880 people that have died in the Ukraine-Russian war. That's a lot of people, but we see stuff like this all the time. And frankly, we are desensitized to it. 50,000 dead here, 123,000 dead there. I mean, they're just numbers and big numbers at that. Riker here challenges us to reflect on the names, the families and friends of these numbers. If we were to do that, especially all the way back to our earliest times, to quote him, the story of humanity would be a lot less bloody. At a micro level, this episode really gets into it. The thing that really hit for me was the theme of people pretending to be okay when they aren't okay. Being stoic, not overly emotional. How to deal with women when they get totally emotional. Being brave. This is, is not okay. This needs to stop. This episode showed how important it is for us to experience our grief and our loss and not pretend that it doesn't exist. We heard about it in Wesley's story and we watched it happen with Jeremy Astor. Despite his shortcomings as an actor, when he finally opens up and cries at the end of the episode, you can feel the release. It is very powerful. There's a great scene that addresses this perceived need to be strong through tragedy like this between Picard and Troy. How's the boy? He's being very brave. Good. No, he has to get past brave. Now, I am no counselor, but this really feels like an excellent example of toxic, strong leadership and how it doesn't line up with reality. She straight up called him out on this and it was great. In fact, this entire episode was great for Troy. I think this episode's big win is that we saw therapy in action and saw that it's real and that it really works. For people that haven't experienced therapy, there's the stigma that it's all touchy-feely and probably just a waste of time. This episode in 1989 showed that it not only helps us to feel and move through our emotions, but also helps us to make better decisions and to be more effective in whatever it is that we're trying to do. I did not expect to feel this way when I first started this episode, but I highly recommend taking the time to watch through this one. Command codes verified. As a leader, have you ever felt alone? I can tell you from experience that it is a terrible, terrible feeling when that happens. I'm going to call out the amazing theme in this episode, though, that demonstrates we rarely are truly alone. We just don't always know where to look. I'm also going to talk about one of the hardest parts of our job, 
delivering bad news. And first, I'm going to pick up on a theme I started in the last episode. One of the big secrets to effective leadership. Don't take it personally. Come to Quark's Crisis Fund. Come right now. Don't walk. Run! Hi, this is Jeff Aiken from the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Most managers and leaders think that leading their team is all about task management and results. But the truth is, effective leadership starts with people first. See, the workforce is changing quickly and most managers aren't prepared. They're stuck in an archaic leadership style that doesn't work anymore. As a result, their teams aren't giving full effort and they're losing good employees. That's where I come in. Through the approach and style you've come to expect from the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I can help you become a galaxy-class person-first leader. All of my consulting packages include dedicated, one-on-one -on -one time with you or your small team. I've helped thousands of leaders with the lessons from this podcast. Imagine the results and impacts you'll experience with my personal attention. If you're ready to take yourself and your team to the next level, visit bit.ly slash SFLA Consulting to learn more and schedule a meeting with me. That's bit.ly slash SFLA Consulting or click the link in the show notes. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Why? Why do so many people insist on thinking everything is about them? Maybe, maybe I should ask Counselor Troy about that. But seriously, as leaders, managers, we often have to make decisions that aren't going to make everybody happy. Or we have to deliver messages that people aren't going to like. And yeah, people get upset when that happens. Have you ever had to deny a PTO or a leave request? Have you, have you ever had a request of yours denied? I remember working at a silicon wafer factory for a very short time and being told my leave request was denied because I didn't get my bid in soon enough. Oh, I was furious. And so are the people that you have to do this to. But here's the thing. And I didn't realize this all those years ago. But it wasn't my supervisor I was actually mad at. Like, I sure thought it was. But it doesn't matter who was in that job. I mean, the rules is the rules. Rules are for fools. Rules are for fools. Save your stupid ruling for fools. They need some schooling. I was actually mad at the policy. So remember this when your team gets mad at you. In almost every case, it's the policy, the rule, the message, or the, the whatever they're mad at. You just happen to be the human in front of them delivering that message. Now, if you're a jerk 
and they're just plain mean to people or you slack off and you don't follow through on things you've committed to or that people expect from you. Okay. Yeah. In those cases, they probably are mad at you. But as a listener of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I am positive you aren't any of those things. Are you? In this episode, there is a great scene near the end where Wesley Crusher, who's about 18 years old in this episode, shares his experience when he lost his dad on a Starfleet mission when he was serving under Picard on the USS Stargazer. Wesley was five years old when this happened, and Picard came to inform him, just like he did for Jeremy Astor in this episode when his mother died. And Wesley was so mad, he was furious, as anybody would be. Both Wesley and Jeremy lost their parent to accidents. They died senseless deaths, and they both died under Picard's command. But time, time often brings wisdom, maturity, and Wesley shares that here. I was angry at you. How long were you angry with the captain, Wes? For a long time, but not anymore, sir. Not even a little. He grew to understand that he was mad because his dad died, not because of anything Picard did. I wanted to share this because in my experience, so many leaders, so many managers start making their big mistakes, start second guessing themselves, start, start feeling more and more stress leading to burnout because they buy in to the anger. They believe that the person is actually mad at them. I've managed at various levels in a number of transactional production environments where we could rate an employee's performance, essentially, based on the number of widgets they pushed out that met standards. What have you done for me lately? In environments like that, turnover tends to be high. There's a set standard, and your people either meet it or they don't. When I was a direct supervisor and had to hand people their final checks and accompany them while they cleaned out their workspaces, this lesson became very apparent to me. Like, I had people cry. They argued with me. Some, some yelled at me and a handful, a handful even threatened me. Your soul better belong to Jesus. Yeah, I had a dude literally say that to me. Now, luckily, he never showed up back at the office, but still... Wow, if I had taken that all personally, I would have given up the management game a very long time ago, but I used it as a, well, as a litmus test, right? Did I do everything I could to create the environment where they could choose to be successful? Did they know what was expected? Did I, did I make them aware of how they were performing? Did I make it clear they'd be let go if they didn't hit the standard. If I'd done all of those things, then it wasn't anything personal. I had created the environment for them, provided the information, and they either chose not to do what they needed to, or they weren't capable of it. And hey, I want to be clear here. Not being capable of spitting out a thousand widgets a week doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you not a good fit for that job. Now I've managed in a lot of these shops and I could never be successful actually working in one, right? The right skill for the right job. But because I'd worked that all out, because I understood they weren't mad at me, but were understandably upset at losing their job, 
I didn't take it personally. You're taking this very personal. Tom, this is business, and this man is taking it very, very personal. At all. And that helped me to be more compassionate. I was able to focus on delivering the message in careful and in a gentle way that acknowledged their value as a human, but also made it clear this wasn't the job for them. Had I been taking it personally, I would have crafted my message in a way. In fact, let's do this. I imagine that you have either fired someone or maybe even been fired, or if nothing else, you've seen it on TV, right? How often do you see it go down like this? So I wanted to meet with you and let you know that we really appreciate everything you add to the office here. You're friendly. Everyone appreciates that cool thing that you do sometimes. Unfortunately, you're still not hitting your numbers, so we're letting you go. It's not, it's not that you did anything bad. We just need people spitting out widgets. Something like that sound familiar? You start with something nice, then drop the bomb and follow up with something nice again, right? I've heard it called a shit sandwich, a pile of bad plot between two decent slices of bread. Well, here's the thing. The bread, the nice things you say, those are only there to make you feel better. It does not soften the blow. It does not help them feel better about this. It's just a mechanism we use to try and make us not feel so bad about what we're doing. But if you understand this isn't about you, it isn't personal, then you don't need to serve that sandwich. You can carefully and compassionately deliver the message and you can both move forward. Now, to be clear, just because I didn't take it personally does not mean it was ever easy to do. No, <laughs> it was the worst. Even now, talking about those days makes me kind of queasy. Yes, I did all the things I needed to do and they made their choices, but I still had to look another person, a human being in the eyes and tell them they weren't wanted here anymore. They weren't welcome here anymore. And that's not easy to do. I am grateful that I've never had to be the person that has to do what Picard does though. I've never had to notify a family that they've lost a loved one. I have though had to inform my work teams that a member of their team had passed away. It's different, but still so, so very hard. There was a conversation in this episode that really got me thinking about both of these scenarios, informing people that someone had died and letting someone go. Really, it reminded me of all the types of bad news managers have to deliver. How do you get used to it? They're telling them. You hope you never do. And I'll tell you, you never get used to it. You get more skilled at it, yeah. You develop better coping mechanisms for it, but you never get used to it. Every time I have to get in front of a person or a group to share something not great, I get butterflies in my stomach. And not the cool, I'm 16 and might maybe get to kiss the girl kind of butterflies. More like the, I feel like I need to throw up right now and would honestly rather do that than get in front of these people right now kind of butterflies. But that's the job. I've often said that one of the key skills managers need that we rarely actually recruit for is their ability to tell people no and to disappoint them without negatively impacting the work environment or culture. Now, back in early 2020, one of my team members died, Doug. He worked at the reception desk for one of the programs I managed, but I'd known him for well over a decade. He was liked 
and respected by the other 65 or so people that we worked with. His wife called me the night he passed, and after I worked through my own initial grief, I began preparing myself to tell the team. I knew I had to do it first thing. I spent some time that evening and then in the morning thinking about what I was going to say and how I was going to say it. This was especially hard for me because I'd known him for so long. I got to the office early and had arranged to meet with my supervisor. He was great, very compassionate, super understanding. We talked through my plan to deliver the news. He had some incredible insights and advice that he offered. And then we both went in and pulled everyone together. I delivered the news and I broke down into tears and everyone started immediately supporting each other. It was beautiful. I mean, it was horrifying. It was awful, but, but beautiful in that kind of way. Only something like that can. I left the office afterwards. I actually went to the mall that has since closed down so I could walk for a little while. Then I came back to work and I did the things I needed to do. Now on the scale of firing someone, to telling a family that one of their loved ones had died, this was pretty high up there. But the same principles apply across that scale. Remember that this is not about you. Do not take it personally. It's not going to be easy, and it shouldn't be easy. And the next thing I'm going to talk about, don't feel like you have to do it alone. When Worf and Troy are talking through Worf's reaction and feelings on losing a member of his team, he exposes what a lot of people think leaders do, and Troy masterfully corrects him and shares what effective leaders actually do. A leader must stand alone, as Captain Picard does. Captain Picard talks to me. An effective leader never works alone. They seek guidance, counsel, wisdom. Many actually hire a trusted consultant just to talk through scenarios and to get a different perspective and oftentimes advice. And some of the super, super effective ones hire that consultant here through the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Check the show notes for more on that. In the execution, it might look like that leader is alone, right? I think about, I think about government leaders as an example. We often see just the president or just the governor behind a podium delivering the message. Tomorrow morning, the White House is sending a bill to Congress for its consideration. It's White House Resolution 455, an energy bill. Back in 2019, I actually served on a task force for our governor. There was a group of about, I don't know, 20 of us, and our meetings included so many others, right? Experts in their fields, advisors, policy, economic analysts. We would meet sometimes for hours on end, but all of that culminated with her behind a podium delivering a condensed version of what we as a team had determined. So when you see a CEO, a politician, or even a team lead delivering a message, know that almost all the time there's a small army, sometimes a very large army, of people behind that one person. In most environments, like the Enterprise, we can say, Jeremy, on the Starship Enterprise, no one is alone. For some of the bigger things, though, you do actually bring others in with you, like physically. You'll see this in presidential press conferences sometimes. The president comes out, makes some big announcement about an executive order or something like that, and then hands the podium over to the expert in the field to go into more detail or to answer questions. 
when I've testified in front of our state legislature, I have both brought someone with me and I have been the person that someone else brought with them to respond to specific questions or go into more operational detail. In this episode, Picard brings Troy with him when he interacts with Jeremy Astor. He knows that delivering the message is his responsibility. He's the leader, but he also knows that he doesn't have the expertise. He doesn't have the skills or honestly, even the interest to provide Jeremy the care and support he's going to need. But Worf, Worf is desperate to take responsibility. I must accompany you. I commanded the away team. I appreciate your offer, Lieutenant. This is my responsibility. But Picard is right to take that on. One could almost make an argument that Worf could accompany him to observe and learn, but put yourself in the shoes of a 12-year-old that is being told their only parent has just died an unexpected death. Three adults, one, the big-shot captain dude, and another, an almost freakishly large, aggressive-looking Klingon, yeah, maybe not going to go so well. But you know what Picard did do? Who he did bring? He brought Counselor Troy. He brought the person that could respond to specific questions and provide meaningful care and comfort to Jeremy. There is not a single one of us that is all of the things. None of us are experts in everything, and none of us can look at a scenario or prepare for something and see all the possibilities. That is why we need diversity. But like I have said many, many times before, Diversity on its own is meaningless. You have to actually use what it offers. And that, at its simplest, is different viewpoints. That is the power of asking for advice. That is the power of seeking counsel. That is the power of a trusted consultant. It's the power of not being alone. I want to share some new reviews with you. Big Jags on Apple Podcasts says, Interesting angle related to business. This podcast is interesting because it uses the Star Trek shows as examples of great leadership. Jeff gives specific and actionable insights and activities related to leadership. Fun to listen to even if you don't watch Star Trek. I guarantee you'll learn something. Thanks, Big Jags. Also on Apple Podcasts, MJ217 says, Love the approach to leadership practices. I'm not a regular fan of Star Trek programs, but I'm super impressed with this podcast and the energy in each episode. I like the premise of using episodes of the Star Trek universe to pull out timely leadership practices and tips. Nice work. Definitely recommend this for any leaders, especially if they love sci-fi. Thank you, MJ217. One more. Also on Apple Podcasts, OTBL1 says, Very well done. I am not a Star Trek fan. Not because it isn't entertaining. Rather, much of its core messaging is extremely problematic. That being said, Jeff creates a very entertaining and well-done podcast that really draws you in. His message is distilling leadership principles from the episodes, which is something on which we can all agree. Jeff's experience, humor, and obvious talent comes through each episode and leaves the listener entertained, engaged, and thinking. I don't know what else you could want. If you are a Star Trek fan, this is a no-brainer. If you're not, 
I still encourage you to listen. You'll find, as I did, that it is well worth your time. Thank you, OTBL1. I so appreciate all the ratings and reviews that people leave for the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Just head over to Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, CastBox, leave a review, and I'll read it right here on the podcast. And to be sure I see it, take a screenshot and send it to me. You can get it to me on Twitter at SFLA Podcast and most other social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in Troy is amazing in this episode. A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, wow. A theme emerges. Again, we will be watching the fifth episode of a third season. But this time, it's going to be from the original series. And the children shall lead. Oh, I remember this one. TOS's third season has some pretty interesting episodes, and this is very much one of them. Imagine, if you will, a group of kids, children, surrounding Captain Kirk, doing the ring around the rosies thing. Yeah, this is that one. I'm going to have a lot to say about it for sure, but I do know it has some absolutely epic Spock and McCoy comments that I know we'll be talking about. But until then, ex astra scientia. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the no, my, my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production.